I don't know if that's the most important thing we do when we come, but it's certainly the most fun. We're going to be reading out of Acts chapter 2. How many of you have grown up, uh, most all your lives, been involved in churches of Christ? Right. Have any of you ever heard of Acts chapter 2? Okay. This is sort of one of our passages. This is one that really is in our hearts, uh, primarily because our call as a church is let's go back and do things the way they did at the beginning. Uh, that when God instituted the church, uh, that, that he taught us what church was about then. And the nearer that we can come to doing it the way they did it, then the nearer we'll come to the way God truly wants church to be. And so you can't go any further back than Acts chapter 2. This is the beginning. This is the birthday of the church. And so that's one reason why we turn to it so often, which makes preaching on it kind of uh, daunting because uh, many of you have heard so many sermons on Acts chapter 2. How am I going to make this fresh to you again? But more than that, it's daunting because it's just so important and that we grasp what happened here. And so I pray that uh, we'll be able to bring some of that power to you today. We're going to read the middle of Peter's sermon. Uh, one thing that I think we have, happens a lot of times is we read the first part about Pentecost, and then we read the end part, and we sort of skip over what Peter said in between. And so I want to do that today to read a portion of his sermon. Let's be standing, please, as we hear this. The Word of God as it was preached by the Apostle Peter to those first people on the day of Pentecost. You that are Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, by wonders and signs that God did through him among you, as you yourselves know, this man handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. But God raised him up, having freed him from death because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad. My tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will live in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One experience corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Fellow Israelites, I may say to you confidently that our ancestor David, about our ancestor David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. But since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would put one of his descendants on his throne. And foreseeing this, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah when he said, He was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh experience corruption. This Jesus God raised up. And of that, all of us are witnesses. May God bless the reading of his word. I was blessed to grow up in a neighborhood that was full of kids. I think for two or three blocks either direction from the house that I lived in, each house had children, and most of them were close to my age. 
So we spent most of our time outside or in other people's houses and roaming the town and playing games together. It just was uh, almost the perfect childhood environment to grow up in. I remember that uh, one of the things that we had or one of the rules that we had when we got together to play games, especially something like shooting baskets in somebody's driveway, was that if you shot the basketball and as soon as it left your hand, you realized it was going to be a bad shot. If you were quick enough, you could yell, overs. And if you yelled it fast enough, then you got to shoot again. Now, overs is really short for do-over. That sometimes someone would say do-over, but you know, most of us who used it a lot just shortened it to overs. And it was a marvelous thing because, you know, you could just tell that 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 shot wasn't going to be any good and wow, overs and you get to shoot again. Now that worked unless somebody abused it so much that finally someone in the game yelled out, no overs. But you didn't pull that weapon very often because you knew as soon as anyone said no overs, then you couldn't get overs either. And there might come a time in the game that you wish that overs was still in effect. It was a great system. Wouldn't it be good if we had that system in all our lives? That every time you made a mistake, at the moment you realized that what you had just said was really stupid or hurtful, or what you had just done was very counterproductive to you and everyone around you, Or any decision that you made and you realize somewhere along the way that was the wrong way to go. If as soon as it dawns on you that you've messed up, you could just simply say, overs, and try again. Well, the good news of this text that we just read is that there is overs in this world. Now, this text, Acts chapter 2, we always talk about the day of Pentecost. But I submit to you this morning that maybe a better title for this text is not the day of Pentecost, it's the day of overs. Pentecost has the word 50 in it, penta, five, you got that? It occurred seven weeks and one day following the Sabbath, which followed the Passover. And so it was always about 50 days after the Passover feast, or particularly that Sabbath. Now, Pentecost was a feast in which everybody tried to get back to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast, because it was an important feast. It was one of the three big ones that that everyone tried, if they possibly could, to be in Jerusalem to celebrate. Now, this particular Pentecost was interesting already because it had followed a particularly interesting and eventful and momentous Passover. For on the Passover before the Pentecost of Acts chapter 2, that was when Jesus had been executed. Jesus of Nazareth, this itinerant preacher that had been going out and for a couple of years had been causing quite a stir, finally everything had come together right there around Passover, and the officials had raised up and they had brought about his execution. And people were still talking about it. 
It had only been less than two months before, and it was something that was so momentous in the history of those folks that it was still an event that people talked about. And you know that a lot of people were talking about it in terms of was it the right thing to do or not. The execution of Jesus touched on both religion and politics. Let me repeat that. The execution of Jesus touched on both religion and politics. Do you know anyone who has different opinions or strong opinions about either religion or politics? Well, yeah, that's just, you know, that that just really gets us going, doesn't it? And there's all kinds of different ideas out there. I mean, you can just go through your your TV channels, and if you pause a little bit from one channel to the next, you see just radically different ideas being espoused. Well, that's nothing new. Well, that was going on here, too. And there were some people that were totally convinced that the officials had done the right thing. You had to get rid of that guy because he was a troublemaker. He was going around teaching things that were not in accordance to the way we've always been taught. And plus, he was going to cause problems with the Roman government. You know, when we're this little old piddly country down here, we better keep our mouth shut and keep our head down. Or Rome, if they're attracted, or if we get their attention, they'll just send legions in and just wipe us out. So it had to be done. But there were other people that were beginning to question that and wonder, how could all of this have happened? You know, some of the people, there on the day of Pentecost, had been a part of two crowds 50 days before. One crowd was the crowd that had welcomed Jesus whenever he made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And they had shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, Lord. He who comes in the name of David, basically saying, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ. And some of the same people that had yelled that had just six or seven days later, five days later, stood in another crowd yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And you got to think now that they've had some time to think about it. How did that happen? How did they move from being so excited about Jesus to thinking that we ought to kill the guy? And to make matters worse... As time had gone by since he had been executed, there were rumors floating around that he wasn't dead anymore. They had heard somebody said that somebody said that somebody said that they had seen him. And then it got out that his tomb was empty. And you know that there are people making that trek on a daily basis to go out there and look at the empty tomb. What if somebody told you that they had gone to a funeral, they had seen someone buried in the ground, but now that that, that it had been dug up, it was empty again. You might go, well, I want to go see that. So probably every day there was a steady procession of people going by and looking in that cave. And sure enough, we know Jesus was buried there and yet it's empty. But you know, there's a lot of ways to explain that. The official story was, well, his friends went out and stole his body away for whatever reason, maybe to, uh, to, to impress people or who knows why, but obviously somebody has come by and taken his body. But then there were other people saying, you know, what if it's true? What if he really is alive again? And if that's true, what in the world have we done?
may not think about it very often, but you know there, was a, there were a lot of people in Jerusalem when Pentecost rolled around that were feeling pretty guilty and pretty ashamed of themselves and not knowing what to do now, confused, wishing they could go back, wishing they could say overs. Pentecost dawned. They had other things on their mind. You know, their holidays, sometimes we get these old, these people that lived in the olden times, we think of they, that they are totally different than us. They weren't. You know that they were getting ready, that, that they were thinking about all they had to cook, they were having family over, all the things that go with holiday preparation. And so that's what their minds were. And then all of a sudden, a terrible storm blew in. But the problem was, it wasn't really a storm. It just sounded like a storm. A few days ago, just as I was getting into bed, we heard a north wind blow in. I think it's been a little over a week ago now. We could hear the wind blowing in, and all of a sudden it caught our storm door, which hadn't quite latched, and just threw it open against the house, broke off the, the, the porch light, busted the door, and it was like, whoa, <laughs> what happened? And I went and opened the front door, and the wind was blowing, and the trees were bent over, and everything was just, you know, you could tell a storm had blown in. We here in West Texas know wind, don't we? It's not a stranger to us. And so when you hear the wind blowing, you look outside, and you expect to see the trees bent, and you expect to see clouds rolling in. Well, these people looked out. They heard the wind, but nothing was happening. There was no storm coming in. And that was strange. And as they listened to the sound, they began to realize that the sound was kind of focused in one place. It was like it was coming from the city or going to the city right in this one place. And so they began walking through the streets, listening to the sound, thinking, where is it? It's over here. No, it's over here. And finally, the crowds all sort of came together, and they were at the place where the apostles stood. And once they got there... Something even more amazing was going on. Here are these apostles standing there preaching and teaching, and there's fire dancing above their heads. And they go, what is this? We can hear the wind, but we don't feel the wind. And now these guys have fire dancing around them. And as they began listening to what they were saying, they were even further amazed because these people were from all over the world. And they all spoke different languages, yet each person was able to understand what the apostles were saying. And you know, they go, these guys aren't that smart. (laughs) They they don't know how to speak all these languages. Something is really happening here. Something big. And so once the apostles had their attention, once God had their attention, Peter stood up and began to preach. And the first thing he told them was, what was going on with all these fire tongues and the wind and the languages. He said, you know, if you go back and read the prophet Joel, Joel told you that one day this was going to happen, that one day God would pour out his Holy Spirit upon, as he says, all flesh. Now, that was an important thing because it wasn't as if the Holy Spirit had never been poured out on anyone before. You know, Elijah had the Holy Spirit, Moses had the Holy Spirit, Elisha had the Holy Spirit, David had the Spirit of God, even King Saul had the Spirit of God for a while. But these were the big guys. 
These were the guys that God had chosen for special purposes. And therefore, when he gave them his spirit, it was because they were chosen and they were special from everybody else. But the prophet Joel said, one day, us common folk are going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. One day, it's not going to matter what color you are, what nationality you are, what past you have. It does not, it's not going to be just those few special people. It's going to be available to everyone. And this is the day that the Lord has chosen to do that. That God has now poured out His Spirit upon all. And he went on to quote, he says, And Joel told us that on that day that this happens, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone. It doesn't matter again. What color you are, what nationality you are, whether you're male or female, it doesn't matter. If you, once the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon all flesh, if you will reach up and call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Now, that already had piqued the interest of some people. Remember, some of the people standing out there were already feeling like they had blown it for different reasons. One, because maybe they had been involved in the crucifixion of Jesus. Or maybe they had just been involved in a lot of stuff they hadn't supposed to have been involved in, and they were feeling guilty, and they heard that. Anyone, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord? And then Peter began preaching. He said, let me tell you what's just gone on here. God sent Jesus of Nazareth to you, and he sent him as your Messiah, and he proved that to you. He proved it through the miracles that he did, the powers, all the things that he did. You saw it. You know that this was a man of God. And yet, for some reason, you chose to say no to him. You chose to push him aside. And yeah, you didn't do it yourselves. You handed it to the Romans, to those who didn't live under your religious system. You got them to do the dirty work for you, but you're the ones who really did it. You killed him. But God, even though you had said no, God said yes. And God would not accept the fact that you had killed him, but rather he gave him his life back. He quotes David in Psalm 16, one of the best psalms in, in all of psalms. He quotes David as saying that, that God had promised that his Holy One would not see corruption he points out that David saw corruption. He wasn't talking about himself. He said, David died. He's buried. We know where his tomb is. So he wasn't talking about himself, but rather through the Spirit, he was telling us, he was prophesying of Jesus. That you killed Jesus. God brought him back to life. And now he has ascended. He is at the right hand of God. And he says, let all of you know with assurance that this Jesus, God has made him both Lord and Christ. I don't know what mistakes you've made in your lifetime. I don't know what things you wish you hadn't done. But I know you've got them. We all do. Can you imagine standing there, though, and realizing you've been party to killing the Son of God? Can you imagine standing there hearing with assurance, with the power of the Spirit dancing around that you were wrong and you have messed up as badly as anyone ever possibly could mess up. 
The scripture says the reaction very succinctly. It says those that were listening were cut to the heart. You know that feeling too, don't you? And they said, what can we do? (laughs) It's over. We messed up. And Peter looked at them and said, if you will repent, if you will change your heart, if you will express sorrow for what has gone on in your lives, if you will determine to do better, if you will repent, if you will be baptized, if you will submit to this, this uh, request, command of God to join yourself into the crucifixion and death and resurrection of Jesus, if you will repent, if you will be baptized, guess what? You will be forgiven and the Holy Spirit will be a part of your life. Let me translate that for you. Overs. You get to try again. It's as if as far as you and God go, it hasn't happened. Wouldn't it have been nice if we could have been there? Wouldn't it have been great if we could have stood in that crowd? 3,000 people that day screamed overs. Wouldn't it have been wonderful to have been one of them? Let me tell you some of the best news in Acts chapter 2. The way that Luke wrote this, and I know Luke was guided by the Holy Spirit. Luke had to be a pretty sharp guy, too, to write literature like this. But the way that Luke wrote this, he slips in little ways to let us know that we were there. The next time you go back and read Acts chapter 2, Just take your pencil or just point to them as you go through. How many times he uses the word all, everyone, together? He's given us little hints here and there that this is about everyone, not just about those people who are in Jerusalem. And in fact, when he gives that little list of countries that are there, he does something really cute with that. Because in that list, he gives us countries that were in existence at that time. He mentions Rome, he mentions Judea, he mentions Egypt. But he also throws in some countries like the Medes, the Elamites. There hadn't been any Medes or Elamites for hundreds of years. What's he doing? He's letting us know that what's happening here is not just for these people, it's for everyone. A way that we could maybe represent that, a reporter might have said something like this, and what a Pentecost it was. There were people gathered from Assyria and Babylon. Even a nice little Hittite couple were there. There were folks from Arizona. There were folks from Michigan. There were folks from Atlanta. There were folks from from Dallas. And you know what? Even little old San Angelo, Texas had people there. Because that's really what he meant. To let us know that we stood and heard the good news as well. And this is the good news. You have made mistakes. You have made mistakes that you wish you had never made. You wish you could go back and you could change certain things in your lives. And God says, as far as I'm concerned... And in my relationship with you, 
you can. The answer remains the same as it was to those people then. Repent. Be baptized. Receive the forgiveness of your sins. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, overs. This is why we call this gospel. This is why we call this good news. And this is why every one of us in this room need it. Because we all stand guilty before our Lord. And what wonderful news to know that the damage that was most important that was done, the separation between me and my God, can be fixed. Not because I can fix it, but because God chose to fix it. And God chose to say overs to us. We're going to stand. We're going to sing a song. It used to be called the invitation song. Today it's the overs song, okay? And anyone here who knows that your relationship with our Lord is not what it should be, and you came here carrying the burden of guilt and stress, we're going to have some of our elders, some of our staff members standing on the sides and in the back. We're up here at the front. Don't carry that load out with you. Come on. Come up and say overs and receive the mercy of God. Let's stand and sing.